Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 non-stop destination for A's baseball. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the all-star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Time now for another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. You're going to be really interested in this one. Michael Fisher from Codify. This is a guy that's helping pitchers and helping Major League Baseball teams get better, and it's through data. He's fascinating. And then we're going to have Jay Jaffe from Fangraphs and then Casey Stern, a broadcaster. You've seen him for years doing NBA on TNT, but he has a show on Sirius XM, the MLB channel. So good guest today, but... This is going to blow your mind. You like data. You like baseball. You're going to like Michael Fisher. Michael, thank you so much for taking the time today. We truly appreciate it. Hey, great to talk to you. I started to look up, uh, try to figure out when the last time or the first time I ever talked to you was. And then I thought, why am I doing this to myself? (laughs) (laughs) It's been way It's a big number. Ever since, you know, Susan Slusser in the Chronicle, you know, brought you to us, Codify, your company. It's very, very fascinating. Talk about how you got into baseball. Well, a uh, longtime baseball fan, it's, it's bizarre seeing a, uh, you know, a newspaper I delivered, a, a beat writer I've watched forever talk about my business. But uh, you know, I was an A's season ticket holder from 1982 to 1990, uh, huge A's fan forever. Um, would have loved to get into this business a long time ago, but just there was no real path to that. Uh, everyone wanted to get in, and I didn't go to Harvard, so I'm out. Um, th- then, God bless him, my uncle decides to remarry, and he remarries Dan Straley's mom. And uh, so now now I know a major league pitcher. And, uh, you know, it was far from any instant thing. That was It was six years until Dan had been DFA'd a couple times and said, I need help. Uh, what can you do for me? And I started to get into this. So what is it you exactly do? Well, uh, definitely don't cookie cut with anybody. I help in a lot of ways, uh, can do pitch, ma- uh, you know, pitch type sequencing and all that stuff. But the one thing everyone's using is what you probably saw in that Chronicle article are customized heat maps for every pitcher, for every pitch he throws against every batter he might face in a, in a given game. And that's the thing that's unlocked you know, Trinan's you know, amazing year, what Liam's done, 
you know, when Jake Diekman goes, whatever, 55 games until he gives up a run, you know, it, that's what's been unlocking the, the, that higher level of success for these guys. They know where their stuff works against that guy that's standing up at the plate. Yeah, that's pretty fascinating. I mean, you know, that's the thing is, is you want to know what, what, what do you do best? What are your strengths? You know, cause so right. many times, and we've talked to Liam about it so many times, the information that these guys were getting was negative information. You're right. now supplying them with positive, And we know as human beings, we react better <laughs> to positive news than we do to <laughs> bad news. And that's where I think guys so much because you're telling them, hey, this is where you're good. Stay where you are. Right. right. To tell you the truth, and, you know, I love Liam's like, you know, been the best codified pitch man. Uh, how, how could he not be? What, what, five DFAs and now $56 million guaranteed. And he says it's codify. You can't really top that. But the truth is, if you're the kind of guy that wants to look for where you will get hurt and avoid it, these maps will let you do that. You just look at it the other way and go, how do I avoid the red? So um, it does work really well when guys are positively oriented like Liam is, but it works the other way too, where they're, they're, you know, concerned about, Hey, when I throw this pitch, uh, yeah, I can throw a curveball at the very top of the zone and get guys out. But man, if I miss, I'm into that red. So I need to avoid that. So it's cool that it, you know, it's not a one size fit all. And, and you can, you can take this information and use it in a variety of ways and still succeed. You know, I, I, I just think about ever since, you know, COVID hit us and we've had so much off time, you know, I started playing more golf than I had since, you know, my early days. And it's like the same thing in golf. There's certain shots I'm good at. <laughs> right. Right. Shots, I'm not. So it's like I, you got to right. figure out, you know, what are my strengths? What what do I do? Um, now, have you developed the technology? Is this is, is this what you created? Absolutely. Um, I Codify actually has been around for a long time and did financial consulting and analytics and uh, much more boring looking at mountains of data and trying to figure out who's going to pay their bill and who, how much you should charge them in interest and all that boring stuff. Uh, when I, once I hooked up with Australia, started acquiring data and started going about, you know, how can we make maps? And the first ones were horrible, but the second ones were as good as the teams had. And then just over the years, just so many different iterations, just make it better, make it better. And uh, it is, here it is today. Um, it's still, still constantly improving, but it's all, all codify, all from the ground up. What are we trying to do and how, how do we get there? You know, there was a couple times uh, we were able to talk to Dan Straley from South Korea. And right. I mean, we've always loved Dan. He, he's a great guy. Were you able to put those maps together for him with the Korean bit with the KBO? Yes. Um, we had a much more ambitious deal set up. Uh, the Giants, his team over there had called and said, what would happen if a whole team in the KBO had maps and nobody else did? And I made some weird gurgling sound that he took as a positive response. Uh, and we, you know, we had a deal ready, but then COVID hit and they had to back off. Uh, however, they did set up uh, a data stream of all the track man data from the KBO. So Dan had maps all season long and uh, yeah, he tore up the KBO. Uh, and yeah. if he hadn't had that, then you have to wonder, you know, these guys swing differently. They have different discipline and he, he would have done okay, but he, he definitely did better knowing the batters ahead of time and them not knowing him. How much of this would be great for hitters to use? And are any hitters working with you now? 
no hitters are paying for it. I get the occasional phone call or I'll get a pitcher who says, uh, my buddy wants to know where his blue is. Um, you know, the pitchers uh, are, you know, they hold the ball in their hand and the batters are kind of reacting. So it's definitely a different dynamic. And, uh, you know, I've had a couple of temptations to go that route, but, you know, if I have to go tell Dan Straley that, okay, here's your maps, but three of the guys that I, I'm giving you maps for bought their maps against you, it just kind of changes the, the setup there. So kind of shied away from it, but it's more and more, uh, more and more talk about uh, helping hitters as well, especially off season, just like, where are my holes and do I want to retool my, my swing to address them or just forget about it? Like Matt Olson, right? I mean, we know we know how to get Matt Olson out, but if you miss that spot, then if you need a new baseball. He knows that, and he's not going to go change his swing where he can dominate a big chunk of the zone to worry about that little bit that he can't. See, I find that fascinating from a standpoint yeah. of if I'm a hitter, you're, you're, you could give me the evidence like, okay, I can pound you down and in. I can pound right. you up and in. Like, this is where you, you're you not very good, and this is where you need to get better because, you know, as you said it, I mean, we, we have seen how certain hitters have been attacked over and over and over again. Right. And it's just right. They, they don't make adjustments. That's right. And sometimes maybe they shouldn't. At first I thought it was crazy. Uh, I think it was uh... – Ronald Acuna Jr. and I'm pulling his maps for some of my guys, and just solid blue down the outside edge. Just and they're just, people are just abusing him. They're trying to throw it there over and over again. They miss. He gets his 40 home runs, and he gets paid. If he wants to worry about covering that, he changes his whole swing, and now he's not hitting the ball out as much when they throw it in the other two thirds of the zone. And I don't know if he's really thinking that, but it sure seems like he is. You know, I, I think about football, and when you're you're pulling your guard and you're running a power run, and the other team can't stop it, you're just going to run it right. over and over and over until <laughs> they can stop right. it. Right? And it's kind of the same right. thing in baseball. Like, like if you know, there's certain left-handers, you know, because the way their swing works, if you can bust them inside right below their hands. They're going to struggle with it, and you see pitchers just pound them inside over and over again, and then they go away with like a circle change, and it's strike three. You know, it's funny you say that. Um, I am friends with the pitching ninja, Rob, Rob Friedman, and I connected Liam with Rob recently to do an interview. And Liam's, you know, engaging everybody like he always does in a wonderful way, but then says, hey, when I get a swinging strike during an at-bat and the at-bat isn't over, I throw the same pitch again, the same pitch type again. And I'm obviously freaking out. Like, don't, don't tell everybody that. Right. Uh, but anyway, so I go, you know what? I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to go look at the numbers. So I go look and nobody does that, or at least in 2020 more than Liam, like 94% of the time he throws a swing, gets a swinging strike during an at bat. He throws the same pitch again. And he knows where the blue is and all that stuff, but he's not surprising anybody. He gave up one scratch single on 56 of those pitches. Normally, you'd say, don't do that. Don't do that. But it, for Liam, it works. And he knows where the blue is, and he can hit it. He has a huge room, you know, a lot of room for error. And why would you throw it out of the zone if he didn't have to? What do you walk, like three three guys all year? I mean, it looked like Eckersley out there with the walk rate. So, so pretty with, crazy. With your maps, do, do you take in what the counts are? Yes, absolutely. Now, there aren't different maps for all the counts normally, but they go into – considering what the map should look like. 
So if you last week took a 3-0 pitch down the middle uh, for called strike, I'm not saying, hey, throw it to Chris down the middle because he got a called strike there. I'm considering the count and, you know, adjusting accordingly. Yeah, but, it, it, uh, it, it's but, pretty amazing, like the batting average of like right. what it is 2-0 <laughs> versus 0-2. It's like the count right. dictates the, the outcome of the at-bat. Absolutely. Two two strikes is the, is the party. As soon as you get there as a pitcher, you know, yeah, you want to have a couple extra to waste, but it's a totally different thing. I got to tell you though, this, you know, I do, I do count specific maps for guys. It's a lot to memorize, but we do them on occasion. And uh, you just see some wild, like the blue is out like two feet on some of these pitches for some of these batters that go, Hey, it's two strikes. I'm not, I don't want to sit there with the bat on my shoulder. And sometimes they just say, I'm just going to swing. Uh, so what do you see when when Liam breaks off a curveball? How many times did you see him bounce one? Uh, completely unhittable. And he got swings on him over and over again because he has blue there on with two strikes. And when he would bounce it and there's no fans <laughs> in the stands, they were the right. uh, loudest F-bombs that we've heard. <laughs> yeah, that's not part of what we do. To uh, we, we can't control that, unfortunately. Yeah. So I'm thinking about what, what What is the difference? So take a guy like Liam who's throwing two pitches versus a guy like a starter who's throwing four pitches. Right. Well, I helped uh, Daniel Mingdon who throws six if you're conservative. And, uh, you know, he's got a lot. He's got a lot to remember out there. And uh, he's luckily he has the capacity where he's a little bit more sip out of the fire hose rather than sip out of the straw or whatever you want to say. But but it's still a ton to memorize. Um, but this this information will help you. I mean, if you can handle if you can handle it, this will show you, you know, how you should approach that. You got to throw a pitch anyway. Someone's deciding what you're going to throw. Um, a lot of guys who come to me just throw whatever their catcher puts down. And you know, then guys were coming to me saying, "Well, when I went to arbitration, and I, you know, they were trying to tell me what I was worth, and I said, yeah, but the catcher called that pitch, and they don't seem to really care about that.' So. Uh, these guys are starting to take control of their own destiny a little bit and work a little, you know, a little bit different way pregame. I, I, you don't need to name anybody, but have you worked with a guy where you're showing him in the maps and you're saying, "Buddy, you shouldn't be throwing this pitch." Like, ha, ha, yes. have, have guys just completely changed their arsenal based on the yes. the, the data you've you, you've supplied? A- absolutely, absolutely. Um, I'll give you, I won't name a name, but I'll give you a, the most common thing has been a sinker. Um, a lot of these, a lot of these maps come out and a guy will call me and say, yeah, I got the maps you sent me. There's something wrong because, you know, my sinker maps are like all orange and red. Yeah, there's, there's nothing wrong because the path of your pitch is hitting the path of their bats. And yeah, you might get a sexy swing and miss every once in a while. Like, uh, I don't know, like Dustin May of the Dodgers or someone like that. That's wow, that looked great that one time. But what happened over the whole year? You know, that's when they got their good contact and you were all over the place with it. And you have three other pitches. So let's let's turn that down a little and not lean on that as your primary pitch. And some guys, you know, if you if you look at my guys, you'll see a couple of guys that have really changed their their pitch mix a lot. Maybe not throwing a pitch out, but cut the usage in half. You know, you, you, you are so right, because I remember it was pound the bottom of the strike zone. And right. then we saw That's hitters. Suicide. <laughs> we saw, yeah, we saw hitters adjust. Hitters are always going to adjust. And now, what we've seen, like, look at the success 
of Liam. You know his maps better than anybody, but when he threw right. the ball with the velocity up in the zone, he was unhittable. Right. When I first started working with him, there was just a tiny, tiny adjustment where he was asking me about the movement. And I'm like, man, if you can just make this little adjustment, turn a little bit of that horizontal movement to just a little bit more rise. And he got another whatever it was, two inches. Well, the bat's not less than three inches wide. And that's that's just a game changer right there. You can put it where he wants. And, you know, we have these monkey brains or whatever you want to call it that says this pitch is coming in looking like it's going to end up here. And, you know, batters can try to swing over those. But you just, it's not, you just can't do it with any regularity. And so anybody that can live up there with good rise on their fastball and good velocity like that, uh, I'm almost candy from a baby. I, I And I think you'd agree with this. If umpires started, you know, because the strike zone, for some reason, they stopped calling the high strike. Like if you go back and right. watch baseball in the 60s, like Sandy Koufax, he got the <laughs> right. strike. Like, like, how would that change if umpires actually really started calling the real strike zone and the high strike came back in, uh, into vogue? Uh, well, we'll have to lower the mound and move it back or whatever. Because if they have this information and a shoulder high strike or an armpit strike or whatever uh, is a strike from Liam, I mean, what what would they do? Uh, the fan, the baseball doesn't want 1-0 into 1-1 games, so... Uh, they won't. Now the robots are coming. Eventually we're going to have automated zones and it'll be interesting to see to me how that influences everything. Um, you know, will, will the robots, if you will, call the zone the way it's written or will they end up changing it? Because Daniel Mangdon can throw a 52 mile an hour, or Bathis can, can throw a, a really slow curveball that catches at the bottom of the zone and almost hits the plate. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. But yeah, a high strike, uh, if they called it like the old days, yeah. The, with this information, I can't even imagine how what that would do to the offenses. So one of your clients, you know, as you mentioned, Jake Diekman, who had an incredible year, um, you think he can handle the closer role? I, I do. Um, you know, I don't say it lightly. I've seen plenty of guys, like I say, A's fancy, plenty of guys come and go, and I know – there's an extra mentality, and I know there's some guys who are comfy in the seventh and eighth and just aren't in the ninth. Um, and you know what? If you would have asked me, not just because of the statistics, but just in general, before I met him, I would have definitely hesitated. Um, but now he has the information. Uh, you see what happened. He not only engaged with me, but he got a uh, slider grip from Pitching Ninja. <laughs> he said, wow, that Chaz Rowe slider is really sexy looking. Can you give me the grip? And he got it. And these guys are so, they're so talented. I mean, the next day he's throwing, instead of, you know, sliders that are breaking eight inches, they're breaking 18 inches. And so I'm running to try to like change the maps because now he throws differently and it's changed everything. And holy, you know, holy crap, you, you have like double the blue on these pitches and it's changed your fastball maps because now you have a slider that they can't hit, but they have to worry about it. And so, you know, he's like, oh, so all I have to do is, I mean, I have these huge area margins of error, and he, like I say, doesn't give up a run until the 55th game. Uh, I'm not saying forever he's a sub one ERA guy. It's not. That's not realistic. There's still guys up there getting paid to hit baseballs, but but he's not the he's not the four ERA guy that we had before. And I don't worry at all at all because I project the pitch path and the bat path. I don't worry about him against righties at all. How many have, have any teams come to you and said, Hey, we, we need some help. I mean, it sounds like a no brainer. 
Yes, it seems like uh, yeah. Right now, the White Sox are certainly uh, asking a lot of questions because uh, Liam and his negotiations, according to Susan Flesser, officially, uh, when in his negotiations for free agency, he started off the conversation saying, "You need to not only accept I'll work with Codify, you need to embrace them," which was an interesting twist. Uh, and the White Sox did that. And I think it was a huge, believe it or not, I mean, I'm not going to say money isn't money, but uh, there was, it was definitely a, a key factor in that negotiation. And so in turn, they're saying, well, wait, we, you work with Lucas Giolito, you work with Yasmani Grandal, now you have Liam Hendricks. So all of our stars are saying, uh, why don't we have this for our team? So yes, uh, it's natural, as you said, the teams are starting to ask about that. Um, it's a weird thing for them. And they're like, well, wait, can anybody buy these? I don't really want the Indians or the twins having them. And so we're having to deal with that kind of thing. Cause I don't, I love doing this and I love working with pitchers from any of the teams and how different everybody is. And, you know, it's, it, it'll be hard to give that up to, to change the, the dynamic to help a, help a team exclusively. So do, do, do you work with any youth baseball players? Uh, only at a high level. Um, you know, like if a college kid comes to me, uh, I can profile their pitching. I can shove them into a major league map and they won't look pretty, but it'll kind of tell them, you know, in an advanced way, you could start working on getting guys out down at the level you're at. It's worked really well with minor leaguers. Um, I don't have that luxury. When, you know, if a, a, an 11 year old comes to me, it's a lot more subjective, you know, throw strikes and get your arm out over here and that kind of stuff. It's not, I don't have some nice map that I can give an 11 year old, but um, there's certainly a demand for it. That's for sure. But there's just not the data available for that other than, you know, the rap soda, they can slap down and find out what his pitches look like, which I do use. Yeah. That's uh, you know, you know, whether you're talking track, man, rap soda, Hawkeye, whatever. And that, that is, you know, this new, you know, technology that's been basically in golf forever. <laughs> you know, right. A lot of, right. You know, I try to tell people, I mean, they, they were using track man and golf in the late eighties and cause you know, they're trying to sell golf clubs they're trying to sell balls. It's like baseball has been very slow to technology. Right. Right. It's interesting to see how the teams are using it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I always think of it like computers, uh, you know, I grew up with computers and, you know, whatever had a Vic 20 and a Commodore 64 and, you know, you're squeezing every little ounce of what these machines could do. And now we have these monster computers and you can get them to do whatever you want. But I mean, you know, what do the video games look like? And but we don't really, we can't just build the video games we want because it takes so much manpower. Now we have Hawkeye and Hawkeye. If you walk out to the mound and throw a pitch, I'm tracking Hawkeye, your skeleton in 19 points constantly. I know where every one of those 19 points is at all times. So I could do all kinds of stuff, but it's just a mountain of data and no one's really tapped into that. Well, I'm glad you can't do that for my putting because I'd be scared to <laughs> like my putting. I'd be I'd be terrified. Well, right. That I can imagine from what I've heard. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, the, I, frankly, the as exciting as it would be to be, uh, uh, you know, in the forefront of getting into that data. You know, I've had uh, a pitcher tell me like, "Hey, I I noticed that this guy, true story, like will lift his front heel." when he is more likely to swing. And if that's down, he's just taking, he does it all the time, you know, and that we're going to have data for that. 
we're going to have data that shows whether or not the guy choked up or moved closer to the plate. You can see it, but yeah. what happened when he did it and how did it change? And, you know, it's an interesting thing because there's a lot of people against that kind of analytical thing. And, you know, we got to be really, I think, really careful what we let happen during the game for sure. Because if you let a, if you let me in the dugout with a the computer, then we, you know, we win 120 games if, if the other team can't do it. So got to be careful with that, I think. Yeah, it, 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 and, it, and it's, you know, every guy's different. Like, you know, I, I did some shows with Coco Crisp, and Coco was like, I'm C-ball, hit ball. Like, some guys right. don't want any kind of – they don't want the data. But the other guys, as you mentioned, if someone can actually absorb it all and use it like a Liam or a Daniel Mingdon or – you know, it just, it, it just depends on – on you know who who the player is and, and 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 how and how he reacts to the data whether he likes it or not absolutely um i won't i hate to pick on him but the one guy that comes to mind spencer turnbull um you know i i when i first met him i had his video up on the screen and my daughter walks by and goes who's that and I'm like that's spencer turnbull he must be like one of the best pitchers I'm like why do you say that well, he just he just looks like it he just looks like one of the best look at how, how he throws well, it turns out he's obviously immensely talented, but he doesn't have a really strong capacity to take all this stuff out there and use it during the game. He can't, and he's not the only one, he can't memorize all the hitters, all the pitches, all the maps. Uh, and he has that caveman, you know, once he gets into the heat of battle, he wants to, I'm going to beat you with this pitch, whether it's blue or not. And you know, that's why he had an ERA of mid-fours before we met, and we're, we're still working on that. But totally right. Every guy's different. And, God, I don't, don't even want to know what Coco Chris maps would have looked like when, when he was at his real peak there where you couldn't get him out. I mean, it would be like the maps would just say IBB or something like that. I mean, just don't even, don't even try. You know what I mean? Remember when you, you couldn't get him out for that yeah. month or whatever when he was at his white hottest? Yeah. Like, like so what? What would the maps look like for like Wade Boggs or Tony Gwynn? <laughs> oh my God. That's a good question. Now we don't have the data, so we don't know where guys got them out and where they tended to ground out and all that stuff, but they would be, I'm sure, very nasty. Now, you know, uh, Gwynn, you, you, you might not see the, the, the blood red because he's not hitting it over the wall a lot. You know, like Matt Olson has some red and it's like, if you hit, if you throw it there, yeah, you're in, you're in, he's going to hit a lot of those over the fence, and it wasn't that, but but damn, I mean, how many balls did Boggs hit off the wall or whatever? Just slap it off the green monster because you you threw it outside, and he's like, fine, that's what I want. They'd be extremely, I'll just say, extremely non-blue for sure. <laughs> for well, sure. I, I got to tell you, this has been fascinating. I truly appreciate the time, and uh, as we get closer to the season, let, let, let's do this again and be safe. And thank you so much. Let's do it. Uh, I appreciate you calling. Have a great day. Boy, has the game of baseball truly changed. Now we got Jay Jaffe from Fangraphs. So what did you make today of the big trade between the uh, New York Mets and the Cleveland Indians? Well, I think it's a it's a bold move by the Mets. Uh, obviously, they're getting one of the best players in baseball in Francisco Lindor. Um, and they've got some nice help for their rotation in, in, in Carlos Carrasco. Um, I think really what it comes down to, though, is it's going to be difficult to judge this deal uh, as a standalone. A lot depends on whether the Mets are able to extend uh, Lindor uh, via a long-term deal 
uh, versus uh, you know whether they let him let him walk at the end of the year or can't come to an agreement. Um, you know because it's the, they'd have the inside track, uh, but uh, it's a very different deal if they're if they are amount, overpaying for what amounts to one year of Lindor uh, and either two or three years of, of Carrasco. Were you shocked that Sandy Alderson said today? We got to obviously it was on SNY, but MLB Network uh, covered it. Um, the virtual press conference. Were you shocked when Sandy said we haven't talked to his agent? Uh, no, I wasn't shocked. But I also I think that you, those those things you you know you got you have to kind of read between the lines. May have they may have not may not have talked to his agent, but there 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 are ways around that. Um, but I you know I do think that that. Um, you know, nobody should be expecting uh, an extension to happen. You know, this minute there are luxury tax reasons, perhaps that uh, uh, the Mets may want to hold off on that, and it's going to take time to uh, to hammer something out like that. Um, I don't think uh, uh, it sounds like you know if they hadn't talked to his agent, then it probably means that they weren't allowed to get a window uh, to to talk about an extension before the deal went down. You know, when you just look at the landscape and how slow everything's going, I mean, wouldn't you say, you know, for Lindor, if he wants the kind of money we think he wants, kind of like what we saw with Mookie Betts, I mean, this is kind of similar. Like, there's only so many people that are going to fish in that pond, and it sounds like the big fishermen right now with the new owner and the $14 billion would be the New York Mets. So if you had to handicap it, do you, do you, do you think at this point, yeah, this is where he's going to end up? Yeah, I, you know, this is. A, I think they they obviously now have a, have an inside track. Um, you know, this is a big market team uh, that has not been paying players as though they're a big market team. Uh, you've got a new owner who really wants to make a strong positive impression on uh, uh, a fan base that has been, uh, uh, you know, held hostage by the Wilpons for far too long uh, with their you know their meager spending. And and yeah, I, I think it, I think it's reasonable. It looks a lot, you know. Not unlike the uh, the Dodgers uh, uh, acquisition of, of Mookie Betts, although I you know you'd, I think you'd probably say that uh, maybe Carrasco is, looks like a little bit less than a, of a salary dump than David Price, but I don't want to take too much away from David Price because uh, that guy could still pitch as he showed uh, in helping the Red Sox win the World Series uh, not too long ago. So I mean, just thinking about New York right now. Uh, where the Yankees are, we don't know what kind of moves they're going to make. I mean, they're obviously in a battle for DJ LeMayhew, but how much fun is it going to be in the Big Apple now that the Mets are trying to be like the Yankees? I think it'll be a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, Lindor is one of those guys. I said this on Twitter. I have a four-year-old daughter. She's just getting acquainted with baseball. Uh, she likes Aaron Judge. Uh, I think she's – I'm really looking forward to, to showing her Francisco Lindor because he just radiates a joy that uh, – um, you know, I think is, is going to draw a lot of casual fans in, uh, a lot of kids. Uh, it's going to heighten interest in, in, in the Mets. And, and yes, uh, if this helps them go toe-to-toe with the Yankees in terms of popularity, I think that's great for baseball. You know, we're hoping spring training's around the corner, but also around the corner is something you specialize in. It's the Baseball Hall of Fame. And a lot of talk uh, 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 about, you know, is this finally going to be Kurt Schilling's time? What are we going to see with Bonds? What are we going to see with Clemens? I, I know this is a great passion of yours. Yeah, it, it, it is. Um, you know, I've, uh, I, this is, I've, I've covered down 20 Hall of Fame elections. Uh, the last uh, uh, 11 or so, uh, as a member of the BBWAA, I actually got to vote for the first time this year, which was uh, uh, quite a thrill, although the, this particular ballot is uh, – 
a bit of a dud with the, you know, how polarizing the top candidates are and the fact that there's no uh, first-year candidate that people can rally around and expect to get elected. Um, you know, it, it is an interesting election, but uh, um, I, I, I think it's very possible we don't end up with anybody elected right now. So, so the first time you got to vote, wow, that's got to just be a thrill. Did, did you, did you, did you put ten guys on the ballot? I actually only put nine. Uh, I, 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 I only put nine. I was debating whether I was going to do seven, eight, nine, or ten. Uh, I thought long and hard about it. Um, I went through my annual series at, at, at Fangraphs, looking at each and every player that uh, uh, was up for consideration for a vote. There's a small handful of guys, including some former A's, uh, that kind of went into my quote unquote one and done category uh, where, you know, they were never really in contention for the ballot, but I like to like to write about their careers. Um, in the end, I went with nine. Um, I could read them all to you if you want, uh, or we could talk this through. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to hear it. I, I, I would love to vote. You know, the one thing, I mean, it's all about the writers, but I think about us who are broadcasters who are around the sure. game. We've worked in the game for, you know, you know, so many years. I've been, you know, working in Major League Baseball over 20 years. I would love to vote, but I don't think I'm ever going to get that. But I'd love to hear yours. Sure. Okay. So I went with uh, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, uh, Bobby Abreu, Todd Helton, Andrew Jones, Scott Rowland, Billy Wagner, Gary Sheffield, and Sammy Sosa. Uh, I left Kurt Schilling off. Um, I know that there are players on this ballot that uh, have done things that I'm not comfortable with. Um, some people might, uh, some voters might invoke the character clause. Uh, I don't really believe in the character clause. I couched my rejection of Kurt Schilling as uh, something on the grounds of it being a protest against this notion that we have to be browbeaten uh, into voting for the guy, even though he is doing some very repugnant things post-career. Uh, and he has only amplified that in the last couple of days uh, concerning his support of uh, uh, what happened in uh, uh, Washington, D.C. yesterday. I think people would, would think about that you just look at people's baseball careers and you just look at the stats. And obviously with Bonds and Clemens not being in and what you're talking about with Kurt Schilling, there is a little more to it than just looking at like baseball reference in their numbers. Yeah, I look, I think you always want to look at, you know, not just the numbers. You want to look at the context. Um, yeah, there is that uh, clause in on the, you know, in the voting rules about integrity, character and sportsmanship. Uh, it was uh, rarely ever cited. Uh, before the uh, PED-linked players arrived on the ballot. And now, some, you know, many voters have used it uh, as a means of, of justifying withholding their votes from several candidates, including Bonds and Clemens. Um, but, you know, I also think that it's okay that if we expand this thought process to say, you know, are these the people we should be honoring? Um, we can do better. You know, we're not we're just in the same way that, that, that institutions are considering whether uh, it's appropriate to use this 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 or that name, uh, this or that iconography. I think it's okay to, to to hold ourselves to higher standards than there have been in the past. Um, you know, and I, I if somebody wants to wants to say that that uh, you know this this player uh, you know was was uh, accused of domestic abuse, I can't in good conscience vote for him because I think this is an issue that's very important. I understand that. I respect it. I don't. I, I I'm not. I'm not going to tell somebody that, that that's that's the wrong answer. How do you think it's going to play when David Ortiz gets on the ballot and everybody loves Big Poppy and everybody's tried to act like his supposed positive test? We can't really prove that or what, what we actually do know. But how are you going to keep Bonds and Clemens out and then everybody's going to vote for David Ortiz? 
Yeah, that's it's going to be a real. I, I, I've joked about this: the gerrymandering of logic uh, to justify voting for Ortiz and not voting for Bonds and Clemens, um, and you know, with A Rod also on the ballot, uh, is going to be quite silly. I mean, you look. I can understand, and the rule of thumb that I use uh, is that anything that happened before testing and suspensions were in place. I, I can't do anything about that. Baseball wasn't going to do anything about that. I'm not going to do anything about that. Uh, that's the Wild West era. Uh, but if somebody failed a test when they knew it, knowingly uh, were flouting the rules and were going to get suspended, I, you know, I think it's fair to hold that against them. Um, that's why I don't have Manny uh, Ramirez on my ballot. Uh, under those rules, I would not vote for Alex Rodriguez. Um, like I said, I do have uh, Bonds and Clemens and, and Sosa on this ballot. I wasn't actually going to vote for Sosa, and then I thought thought about it and changed my mind. Um, but uh, yeah, I, you know, if you're talking about voting for David Ortiz there as, as the only one, you're choosing by far the least talented of those players and somebody who does have, you know, at least some kind of a black mark against him. Now, Ortiz also has to overcome the stigma of being, uh, you know, a designated hitter. Um, by the system that I used uh, called Jaws, uh, which is measures a player's career and uh, wins above replacement and his peak value, he's well short of the mark. Um, but he also had some big postseason moments that don't come into that uh, calculus, and, and uh, it's certainly fair to, to consider those and, and whether weight, you know, whether that has enough weight uh, to put him in. I suspect he's going to get in, maybe not on the first ballot. Uh, but within a couple of years, because he's a very popular player and, and, and a lot of people really liked him. And let's not forget that Rob Banford all but exonerated him uh, with regards to that survey test, which he has not extended the same courtesy uh, to other players who have uh, reportedly tested positive and, you know, will never actually have any proof of. So Sandy Alderson, I guess, once they got off TV, I guess he said that uh, with writers that it's time for the DH in the National League. You know, where we are in 2021, there should be a DH. So I'm just wondering, from a Hall of Fame standpoint, if if everybody has the DH, will it be easier now for us to accept a designated hitter as a Hall of Famer? Yeah, I mean, I think it already has in some ways. You know, we, in the, we Paul Molitor got in uh, in 2004, uh, first election I, I, I covered a baseball prospectus. Um, Harold Baines, obviously not a very satisfying uh, uh, honoree for, for many of us, given given uh, his stats. But then Edgar Martinez getting in. I think it's inevitable that Ortiz gets in. Um, you know, I still think that, that uh, we need to consider uh, just where that line is. But uh, um, I, I think it's an inevitability that we will see more guys uh, getting in as, as, as DHs. We'll see careers you know, that the play out as mostly DHs. I mean, Ortiz, is, I think it's 87% of his plate appearances came as a DH. Edgar Martinez, it was closer to 70%. Frank Thomas, it was about 55%. Uh, Paul Molitor, it was, uh, I think, the plurality, but not the majority. Um, you know, we've been building towards this. And, and uh, yes, if the DH is in the National League, we're going we're gonna to see more of these guys. You know, I try and tell people all the time, if you're a baseball fan, you got to go to Cooperstown. I've been there three times. My grandfather was Bob Elliott, the first third baseman, ever be the MVP. Oh, okay. He's got a bunch of stuff in there. But I actually went to my favorite player growing up was George Brett. So I went in 99 to the ceremonies. That's Robin Yount, Nolan Ryan, Orlando Cepeda. Yeah. It's just, it's just explain to the audience just how magical the place is and Hall of Fame weekend at the end of July. There's just nothing like it. 
Yeah, you know, look, the the Hall of Fame is more than just the dumb arguments we have every winter. And, and, and I say that as somebody who's something of a ringleader in those dumb arguments. Um, you know, it's a great museum uh, in a very quaint uh, and lovely town. Uh, Cooperstown is just a really cool place. It just baseball is everywhere there. Memorabilia, uh, T-shirts, uh, baseball cards. You know, you could eat, sleep, sleep drink baseball there. Um, and the museum is definitely worth your time for more than just the plaque room, but that plaque room is super cool. Yeah. Um, the library is amazing. Uh, the modern exhibits are, are, are especially amazing. I love the baseball card exhibit that just went up uh, uh, about a year or two ago and, and the whole new ball game exhibit on the seventies and the eighties. It's just, it's a really cool place. And even if you don't follow the elections that closely. Uh, it's a place for everybody. I think young kids can get something out of it. And, you know, it broke my heart that uh, uh, they had to cancel induction weekend because uh, I, I, I enjoy going up there. I enjoy selling my book, the Cooperstown case book on Main Street uh, uh, on the Saturday of induction weekend, the same day that they do the, uh, the Spink and the Frick Awards. Um, it's just, you know, there's so many people from all around the country that come and, and just everybody loves baseball. And, and uh, it's just it's so much fun to talk baseball and hang out with old friends, uh, renew acquaintances and all that. So if you can go to induction weekend uh, uh, when conditions permit, you really ought to. Yeah, I try to tell people, you know, from our neck of the woods, it's got it's like a little uh, mini Lake Tahoe with the, the lake and the golf course. And yeah. It's just such a blast. It doesn't matter what time. Like if you go in the fall when the when the leaves are turning, it's absolutely gorgeous. So I tell all of our baseball fans, you you got. I, I know it's not easy to get to, but you got to go at least once because you're. And and then when like when you're going through the timeline and they've got like Cy Young's license plate or like mm-hmm. a, a guy's wife's charm bracelet, they have stuff that you just you wouldn't find anywhere else. Yeah, it's, I mean, you know, there, there, there's there's some pretty esoteric stuff, and there's also there's so much that they they don't even have on display. I was lucky enough. I went up there in February of 2016 to do some some final research on my book and and uh, um, got a behind the scenes tour from the head curator, and you know, got to see some bats uh, of of some special players. Got to see like a, a, a uh, an old uniform of Christy Matthewson, um, cool old photographs. You know, understand. Under, I had to wear white gloves to to handle yeah. all this stuff because they don't want your they don't you don't want you getting your 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 grubby mitts on these things. Uh, but that was just really cool, and and you know it it, it was just such a such a neat thing. Uh, you know, register the registers, the daily logbooks of like Jackie Robinson's rookie season. You know, where somebody is actually transcribing from a box score um, in the paper. Uh, you know, he had four plate appearances, three at bats, a double, a walk, a strikeout. You know, it's just it's it's all these little goosebump things, and and you know, there's so much of it on display, and and you know, every team has has stuff there, and the A's uh, obviously have have more than most. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, they 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 um they took us down below, and you're right, you you know, it's the lab coat and the the gloves. They've got my grandfather's 2000th hit. They got the ball. They got the bat. They brought it out to oh, us. Very nice. I mean, they've got everything. I mean, I don't know where they yeah. store all of it, but they've got everything. Hey, it's always great to talk to you. We really appreciate the time and uh, and promote your book on, on the way out. Okay, yes, it's the Cooperstown case book. It came out in 2017. It's uh, uh, the culmination of, of uh, about 15 years of uh, uh, research and writing about the Hall of Fame. Uh, subtitle: Who's in the Hall of Fame? Who should be in, and who should pack their plaques? Uh, coverage of every Hall of Famer and uh, 
uh, dozens and dozens of players outside the Hall of Fame, uh, many of whom I, I think should be in, and uh, some of whom uh, have gotten in since then, perhaps thanks to the book. Well, yeah, great stuff, as always. We appreciate it. Be safe, and we'll talk soon once we get closer to the season. Hey, sounds great. Thanks a lot, Chris. Casey Stern is a really bright guy, a really good broadcaster, king of the one-liners. We got a chance to hook up with him on A's Cast Live. Casey, how you doing? It's Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's. Chris, how are you? How's everything? Okay? Uh, everything's great. I got to, we're finally opening up here in Northern California. Today was the first day we've been announced. We're going to get our outdoor diving back. It, uh, it's been almost a year. So uh, we're at finally opening up here on the West Coast. Which is, uh, which is nice to hear. And hopefully, uh, knock on wood, uh, we can uh, open up uh, everywhere soon. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I think once we find out if there's a DH in both leagues, then it'll be like the apocalypse and everything might go back to normal. <laughs> yeah, well, I got to tell you, and I tell, I tell the Duke, I tell Mike Farron this, uh, you know, what you guys do on XM, I got you on 89. Uh, you know, I'm one of those guys got a new car, but I made sure I re-up my subscription because what you guys do on Sirius XM is fabulous. I love how you're 89, NFL's 88, I don't need anything else. And uh, you and Lidge and the show that you guys do is fantastic. Thank you, man. I appreciate that immensely. And look, I, I mean, you know, I, I thought I'd seen it all in talk radio all these years until, you know, you think the offseason is talking about nothing until we had the uh, during the season offseason through COVID. And then we really were talking about nothing. So, uh, you know, hopefully we'll get at least as close to a full season as possible, even though the, the longer this t- uh, clock keeps ticking, the more tough that's going to be to actually find that to be a reality. You know, there's not a lot of us out there that do a baseball show that's year-round. So whether it's us or you guys, uh, you know, I'm kind of proud of all of us that we show yes. that we actually carry. We basically carried a baseball show for almost eight months without any baseball. Yeah, I mean, you know, hopefully the commissioner's office is listening and therefore can pay for all the bills for all the therapy all of us have to go through for doing it. But I do, I do agree. And look, I'm proud of, of everybody in the industry in general for – you know, doing the best that everybody could to kind of, you know, survive their process, which everybody was dealing with all sorts of difficult things and, and life itself. And then, you know, you go in and trying to, you know, kind of use sports as an escape, but then there's not even the sport there. You're <laughs> talking about, uh, you're talking about all the, the reasons you're not playing it. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it was one of those things where hopefully, and, you know, I say hopefully with fingers crossed, and not only for baseball fans, but I think for human beings across the board, perspective has been brought in a different way that you know we all wish we didn't have and certainly won't feel like we needed but now that it's here hopefully we will uh, you know cherish and be more grateful moving forward here's what i'm worried about right now with baseball especially after the rejection today by the uh, players union is coming up here in two weeks we're gonna have tom brady patrick mahomes we're gonna have the super bowl we just had nick saban win another national title i'm seeing nba highlights i'm seeing nhl highlights we're starting the west coast swing of the pga tour before you know it the pros are going to be here at pebble beach everybody's figuring out a way to play and every single time i turn around it's like i'm i'm listening to excuses of why baseball needs a delay I, I just like baseball needs to figure out it's not going to look good if they keep delaying stuff and everybody around them's playing how do you see it yeah i mean look i think the first part is the biggest problem was that the cba has always been looming and with it looming now months away every decision that was made last year because remember 
I mean, you know, ironically, as slow as everything with Major League Baseball seems to work, you remember they're still now three years later trying to figure out who snuck into the warehouse and, you know, fudged all the balls without anybody knowing. I mean, so it's like, you know, things that go on in this sport never make sense. But even with all of that, really within two weeks, by the 26th of March, they roughly had mapped out most of an agreement. And then we sat listening to them, you know, basically get into a pissing contest over it for several months. So, you know, I, with that being the case, I had hoped, and it certainly didn't happen, and I've said this many times, I had hoped that both sides would have realized, look, considering the lack of fans in the stands and everything else going on, it's very possible that we're not going to get a full season. Let's take time now. There's nothing against doing it. Me, try and get this CBA done so that once and for all, once we get back, we don't have to, again, lose more fans because they can't trust us. But instead, what they've done is they've played the same games. I mean, look, you know, I, I, we had the commissioner on our air during the World Series. He doesn't think there's any reason that the DH should go away. The players want it and the owners want it. But the owners won't admit it because they're trying to use it as some kind of a leverage tool playing into the CBA. And I'll say this, you know, out loud while we don't know. Think about what's taken so long. How are these conversations not taking place during the World Series? The DH wasn't something they needed to wait for COVID to find out. And then who's delaying that process? Because two-thirds of this right now have nothing to do with the players. And those two-thirds have a lot of control of the speed of the process. And to me, it's been stalled, I would say, purposely and very much so to put us in exactly this spot. Yeah, we have over 200 free agents right now, guys without jobs who can help teams win this season. And I got to think as a player, you're saying to yourself, wait a minute, universal DH means more jobs. It's a high paying job. Expanded playoffs means higher profile, more of us players getting into the postseason, more money. If I'm a player, I'm looking at Tony Clark and the Player Association like, what are you guys doing? This is what we want. Isn't this what you want as a player? More chance to win the World Series and more potential jobs? Well, yeah, I think so. But here's the problem is they, the players, you know, look, first of all, it all depends on what's leaked and everybody, you know, who, you know, kind of fires the, the first blow, if you will. Then everybody's reacting to that impression. For example, last year during the process in March, the owners clearly were leaking out things about the players. The commissioner's going out basically saying they didn't want to play to the point where the players have to go and say when and where, and then they look foolish because of a grievance they've got to hang over the league's head. In this case, the owners are clearly the ones who have stalled it because the players want the DH. They just don't want the owners to say that they have to give anything to get it. They want the owners to admit they want the DH too, which they do. The owners, in turn, are playing a leverage game, which is two parts, one to gain from the CBA. The other part of it is they know the players won't take it. It stalls, and that's less revenue they lose when there's less games with nobody in the stands. So, you know, the biggest issue that we have here, and I'll go back to covering both these sports, in watching Adam Silver, Chris, and how he handled things after, you know, the Rudy Gobert news broke, right? You had that league basically with all of the players like 40 of them on the phone with the commissioner talking constantly. People like Chris Paul were representing the players. He was involved. Of course, he's there as somebody that the owners and the commissioners chose. Uh, the owners had chosen as a commissioner, but at the same time, the relationship was also with the players because the NBA pushes players as their brand. We're in a sport where we say for three days in August, you can wear a nickname on the back after the first seven nicknames you told me you want to wear, I say are too edgy. I mean, this is just the way it is. Allen Iverson never would have survived in this sport. You can't be different. It's why Trevor Bauer has 
been made to look like he's been made over over a long period of time before it's maybe the rhetoric turned around a bit. To me, that's the problem here. You've got a commissioner who, look, I don't care whether or not your bread's buttered by the owners. We all get that. But this is the most one-sided commissioner situation I think I've ever seen in sports where the players are like completely in some sort of a WWE handicap match against all the owners and the commissioner of this game. <laughs> and it's like a bizarro world. Adam Ottavino is getting shipped up north to Boston in a salary dump. And I'm thinking a salary dump for the Yankees of $7 million? That's like tip money to them. It's like we're just in this bizarro world right now. Well, especially because the luxury tax is being used as, as like some kind of it. Look, it's a real thing. But you know how many luxury taxes for teams Jacoby Ellsbury's contract paid yeah. for? So it's like, you know, I mean, you know, the, the Mets have Jairus Familia, who's making $10 million basically to just tell you what he did a few years ago in the bullpen. Every team's got situations like that of bad contracts. So the luxury tax, yes, it's real. Yes, it could be a lot of money depending upon how far you go over it. But the owners who used to invest heart, not just have business savvy, like Mike Illich, who know maybe he shouldn't have gone after Victor Martinez was down for the year and a week later bring in Prince Fielder's $190 million contract, but there's an owner who wants to win. And we used to have a lot of them in this sport. Now the owners are really worried more about their other businesses and baseball is like a side hustle. And the GMs are coming in with statistics and calculators and finance but not really the same love for the game. And I think all of those things have brought us to a place where this sport right now has the least amount of passion I think it's ever had. But we got a couple teams that are seizing the moment. What have you thought about this offseason, about the Toronto slash Tampa Bay Blue Jays and the San Diego Padres? Well, you know, it, different in, in both ways. Let's start with San Diego. I think in San Diego's case, Chris, here's a situation where Look, uh, you know, A.J. Preller, I, I think you go back to a few years ago, and I remember being there in San Diego at winter meetings, and you'd walk the streets, and they're like, well, we got Matt Kemp, we got Grandal, we got Upton. I didn't even remember. I mean, there's so many different signings they had. Like Kimbrell was in that group, right? And, you know, then he, they kind of refused to go the other way. And for a while, I didn't really understand what they were doing. But he has definitely really kind of, I think, over the last few years, actually stuck with and created a plan, and it's worked big time because of the system that they have that is so loaded. So he knew he could take advantage of Tampa Bay, and, and he did in a situation they're in to go get a Blake Snell, who's going to make you know same money as Drew Smiley, who made four starts last year. And, you know, the Darvish thing, you know, he got traded for people who I don't even think they had their learners permit yet. They're so young and far away from the game in, in a money deal. I mean, literally, they're like 12. So, you know, I, I, they didn't really – they didn't give up anything. So they're going to be way better. I, I, the back end of the bullpen for me, you know, look, we know what Yates did, and now obviously he's up in Toronto. You think about, you know, the job Rosenthal did, and you've got, you know, Pomerantz. They didn't get Hendricks. He ends up with the White Sox. I still wonder about the back end of the bullpen because, to me, that's still where if you're going to beat the Dodgers in big spots, you have to beat them because they've got names and numbers, but they still haven't really chosen anybody, and Kenley's in that mix. But I think the Padres are clearly asserted themselves as a contender. The question will be about the gap with L.A. You know, for Toronto, for me, this is like, you know, one of those things where, like, you start a rumor, like, in, in you know, junior high school, and then all of a sudden it becomes real. Like, this idea that the Jays had to strike this offseason is, is ridiculous. And I understand how much money Rodgers has, and I get it. But their own organization coming out and saying, we are going to be in everything, put them in a bad spot. 
because then they were against their own expectations. And here's a team who barely made it into – now, look, I love the direction, but they barely made it into an expanded postseason. And Vlad Guerrero still thinks he's junior. He still thinks he's a third baseman, and he needs to be a DH. Pearson, who's their stud pitcher, we still haven't seen. You might as well say Kopech. I mean, we've seen a lot more to Sixto Sanchez, for example, right? And, you know, you're looking at a situation where they can't play literally any defense. So I think they've gotten a lot better. I do think the Brantley thing was a big kind of uh, an oopsie because if they would have locked him in with Springer, to me, would have made him even stronger. They could use somebody like that in their lineup. But I need the back end of the bullpen to be sure what I have. We don't know what a lot of the guys are down there, even with Kevin Gates at the end. I think their defense is still a big issue. They got a lot of kids. Do I think they're going to be interesting? Yes. But to me, this wasn't a year they had to go strike and get it done right now. I'd love to understand why the Twins and Cardinals are acting like they have five years to get ready and the Jays are acting like they have to win a World Series. I'll never understand that. You know, we talked to Tim Kirchner from ESPN earlier about this, and I'll ask you kind of the same question. It's, you know, every offseason, last time we were around all the baseball people, too, was down in San Diego at the winter meetings. And I always look at people and I go, hey, in the offseason, I know the A's were never going to be the darlings, but yet won the division last year, the two years previous, won 97 games each year. And now I'm seeing like a report today, hey, can the Mariners win the West? It's like everybody forgets about the A's in the offseason, and then all season the season starts and they go oh yeah Billy Bean and David Forrest continue to be competitive how do you see the A's in the offseason heading into this year well I thought Chris after the three years in a row 95 plus wins coming into last year if it was a full season even into the shortened season they were the best suited they'd ever been because they didn't have to you know rob Peter and pay Paul or find Edwin Jackson to go pitch right they were in a better spot with, you know, at least until we, you know, Puck wasn't ready. Him coming in, you had Lizardo. Manaya had looked like, okay, healthy. Maybe he's going to kind of take a jump. Simeon off a third year, you know, third and MVP. Last year, the irony is that they win their first division in 14 years. And, and I actually don't think they played as well as they probably could have. And that the roster was. I mean, there were disappointments mentioning Manaya, you know, Simeon, the injury to Chapman, clearly, obviously, an issue. I'm not worried about the bullpen because as difficult as it is, if you can go from Trevino and Trinan, the best eight, nine in the American league, and then they both have ERAs of six and suddenly you find new guys who are the best. Bull- then I'm, I'm, I'm leaving that and I'll just figure out internally because they've had a lot of options that they'll, they'll be okay. I do wonder about the pitching because I do think that they're going to need to know who's stable in terms of innings, especially with the longer season. So what do you get out of Lizardo for a lot of starts? How ready are pucking those kids? What about Manaya? Those are questions for me. I'd like the answers to. And then the Simeon situation, because of, as you and I both know, what he means in the room, even if he's probably somewhere, I think we'd agree, in between what we saw last year and the year before. I think he's a terrific defender who, from everything Wash has taught him, has really continued to work with that. Great leader in the room and a good hitter. And by the way, that's a greater all-around player. He doesn't have to be an MVP. And with Chapman and Olsen and company, it's enough. But if you don't have him in the room or on the field, now you've got a big problem to fix. I think it's second and it's short to figure in the middle of the infield. So to me, the bullpen, I just, I'm already used to. They'll just figure it out. But I'd like to know starting rotation in the middle infield where they settle. Yeah, we got so many questions for so many different teams. We And, and you know, I think the toughest thing right now, and, and we've talked to David Force about this, our general manager. You know, you're a general manager right now, and here you are. It's January 25th. You don't even know what your roster size is yet. Yeah, well, I mean, 
literally. I, the, the idea that we can be in the situation that we're in and that people still, in my opinion, aren't asking enough, how did we not know? Like the at-bat app lets us know when there's a no-hitter after five innings, which, by the way, drives me certifiably insane and is ridiculous, even though I love the people there. How is it that there wasn't some alert on the phone of Tony Clark or of any owner or of the commissioner's office? You know, the World Series is over. Maybe we should, I don't know, what do you think? Have a Zoom call, figure out should we have a DH? These aren't even COVID-related complicated things. So what they did was they left us here with this. And poor Nelly Cruz, you want to talk about a juxtaposition. Here's the Marvin Miller Man of the Year Award. We thank you for being you. We now will take 15 teams and allow them to play you instead of 30 to finish your career. <laughs> I can't figure it out, man. I can't. It's crazy. Yeah, crazy. it is. It, it really is unbelievable. And, you know, you mentioned the innings. And we talked to Scott Emerson, our pitching coach, recently. I mean, the fact that we really have no idea what guys are going to be able to really give from a starting pitching standpoint when you talk starts, when you talk innings. I mean, how many starting pitchers are you going to need for this year? This Are we going to play 162? Are we playing 120? I mean, there's so many questions. But really a big question is, you know, how much depth are you really going to need for starters, because you're going to need a lot more than probably seven, eight guys. Look, I, I could not agree with you more. It's why, and I know last year a little bit of more of a down year, but I think back to like the Usmero Petit year the year prior, guys like that, guys like Ross Stripling, who even more so, and a Chad Green, for example, right, who you can kind of start, and then, you know, the old school swing man, like back in the 80s and 90s, those kind of guys, those are huge, because to me, it's going to be, you're going to hear like, let's say 20 teams, Chris, say, oh, well, we're going to have a six-man rotation. Then they all realize at camp uh, the amount of complaining that's going on from their actual really good starters who tell them they're insane. And then they're going to go down to five. And then they're going to realize, well, wait, I don't know if we can do opener because then none of these guys can be used out of the bullpen. <laughs> so, you know, that's why, like, the idea that we have to, do, like, wonder if we can have a bigger roster size. In a year where, with such large investments to pitching, of the top 10, I think, guys who are the highest paid AAV, like seven or eight, I mean, now look, I mean, some of them you don't want to be doing this with, like Granke and David Price, but just think about how much is going out to pitchers. Garrett Cole got a nine-year deal. You think about where Bauer's going to end up, and now we're going to say to you, well, you know, I don't really know how many of you guys you can use. It's, it's, it's ridiculous, but that's where teams like the A's, and I think teams who understand how to have guys ready will be best suited. And I also think, Chris, lastly, the 60-game season not having that, other than that extra camp, not having minor leagues, which is difficult. The one thing that teams do have is they had to push a lot of guys, and a lot of them bullpen guys, they wouldn't have usually done it with. And they'll have more answers on whether those guys are ready than they normally would, nor could get the answer to in spring training. You're going to need more of those kind of guys this year. Hey, great stuff. We'll always promote your guys' channel. It's second to none there on Sirius XM. And for me, XM number 89. Be safe, be well with the family, and let's talk soon. Chris, appreciate you, man. Be well, okay? Well, we'd like to thank Michael Fisher from Codify, Jay Jaffe from Fangraphs, and Casey Stern from MLB Radio, Sirius XM. They joined us on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.